Welcome to Christian Life Academy. We are working our way through the Second London Baptist of 1689. We are in chapter 5 today, uh, which is of divine providence. And uh, at this point, we are doing a deep dive as we go phrase by phrase, clause by clause, essentially through the confession and discuss uh, the application and what it means to us. So let's pick back up where we left off last week. We were basically talking about, in paragraph 1, the objects of divine providence. So in other words, what does divine providence um, involve or include? And then we went on to, uh, I'm sorry, then the next thing we're going to talk about is the nature of providence. So here we are, caught up in paragraph 1, by his most wise and holy providence. So obviously this is the phrase that lends itself to the name of the doctrine itself, um, his most wise and holy providence. God's wisdom is far higher than anything we possess that should seem obvious, right? Which would clearly make it the most wise. So his most wise and holy providence, there's there a question that it is he is the most wise? No. God's providence cannot violate his holy character in any way. Therefore, even the, in, in very dark providences, God is holy. He is morally perfect. So obviously, we, I mean, we, we know these things, right? We, we do think these things. But we have to realize that it applies to providence. So we think about the fact that God literally defines what holy is, right? Defines what holy is, defines what truth is. That is God. But that means that things that we view as dark providences or evil providences, right? God still is controlling them. God is still ordering them. Still happening. Can't, how can he do that without violating his holiness? How can he do that? Well, you have to keep in mind that God is still God. God does not sin. So therefore, if we do something that's unholy, right, we are sinning. But if God does something that's unholy, it's not unholy. It cannot be. Why? His motivation, his actions are, cannot be sinful. They can't be. Now, other religions have taken that to an extreme, right? How they've done that is, is that they have evil gods. So they have gods that do all evil, that that's just their, you know, they'll go to, some of the Greek gods were mischievous, you know, so they'd trip humans up and cause humans to have some problems sometimes, or other, even other gods they'd have to have problems, but then there were other gods who they are nothing but evil. Hades was nothing but evil. Everything that he wanted to do was evil hurt people, cause problems, that kind of thing. Take over for Zeus. That was Hades. So they have this idea that gods, if they do something wrong, then they must be an evil god. Well, do something wrong in whose view? Our view, right? In our view. Now think about this from another perspective. If God does something and we don't like it, is it automatically evil? It can't be, right? First of all, it can't be because God did it, but it's because it's from our perspective. I mean, has there been things that have happened that you think, why? And you don't really appreciate them, right? It's just everybody should be going, yeah, oh yeah. Nobody's doing anything, but thanks for looking at me, Kurt. Kurt doing it. <laughs> Gave me the nod. Yes, of course that happens. If you get a chance to go outside today, Walk past my truck. It was in an accident. Was hit by the hit on the side. Jacob was coming home up Lapeer Road on Sunday, and there's a turnaround there. I mean, on Friday, and there was a turn from work on Friday, and there was a turnaround in Oxford that somebody did the turnaround, did not stop, straight into the side of the truck. Now, fortunately, the guy, as the guy got very close, he cut the wheel, and so he hit the truck and hit the trailer. So damaged them both. And he admitted, you know, yeah, I didn't stop, you know, and he got ticketed and everything, but why? Right? So that seems evil to me. It doesn't seem good. Does it seem good to anybody else? No, not good. But God still controlled it. God still caused it. Why? I don't know. May never know. True for everything that happens in our lives, right? Things happen that are bad. Why? What happened that's going, to be, that's going to bless God or carry out his will in it? We don't always know those things. And he's not required to tell us those things. So what do we do? 
get mad anyway, get disappointed anyway, get upset anyway, or accept, be content, move on. Obviously, it's the latter, right? That's what we should be doing. It's harder sometimes than others, right? Why did my 44-year-old cousin die of a heart attack? What good came out of that? I don't know. I don't know. But he had a reason for it. Right? He had a reason. We don't know what it is. But he still had a reason. So we can be mad at God, or we can accept that this is God's plan and move on. I do have this discussion with other people from time to time. What good does it do us to get angry about things? It does you no good. There is nothing that's solved by you getting angry. There's nothing that's better by you getting angry. Nothing. Things don't change because you got mad instead of didn't get mad. In fact, if they did change, they usually get worse, right? Try this with your spouse. Next time your spouse does something you don't like, get mad at them. See if that'll help the relationship and it'll actually improve the way that your spouse is treating you or behaving. It will not, will it? And if you're not thinking, yes, that's true or correct or no, it won't help, you're lying (laughs) because it does not help. It does not help. Look, God has a plan. And you know what that means? Wow, here we go. This is your get it all jail free card. Why did you forget to give your spouse a birthday card? Because it was God's plan. <laughs> That's your get out of jail free card. Does it mean that does it mean that you should try just, just forget about not getting birthday cards for your spouse? No, I'm not saying that it means that. But what I'm saying is, is that that's how much in the minutiae God's providence is. You couldn't have gotten her or him a card if God's plan was for you not to. It's a little mind-blowing, isn't it? little? No? You're accepting this? This is your, you've been looking for this. Is that, I can see Doug back there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll write this one down. All right. The compatibility of providence with his creation so, this is the end of the paragraph. To the end for which they were created. I'm sorry, this is not quite the end. For the end to the end for which they were created. So, in other words, his providences in all of creation is to the end for which they were created. God is in control, and he creates and establishes, establishes for his providential purposes. Why did God create you? Why did he allow you to be born? Why did he allow you to be an adult, to be a teenager, to be a child? Why are you here? Well, it's for his purposes. Not for yours. Hard to believe. We are not here for ourselves. We're here for him. We're here for God. God uses what he has created in its normal created function to fulfill his providential purpose. So what do I mean by that? God, in his providential plan, has created natural order and rules, laws, for how things are conducted, and they happen naturally. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, so you being born is a perfect example of this. Your being born was not by the direct intervention of God. Hmm. Hmm. Think about that. Think about that. Let it, let it percolate for a second. There has only been one human that God intervened and caused the woman to be pregnant and for that child to be born. Who? Christ. The only one. But he uses natural processes to carry out his plan. So, was it planned for you to be born? Yes, it's part of his plan but he uses the natural processes of reproduction in order for you to be born. Does that make sense now? Does that make more sense? Hopefully. In other words, it isn't a surprise to God. He planned for it to happen. Now, does that mean that he planned... 
There we go. Did he plan for someone to not get pregnant? You know, that they didn't get pregnant for a while or for whatever. And then for someone to finally become pregnant or for someone to get pregnant the first time. Yes, that's all part of his plan. All part of his plan. Now the question is, did he supernaturally intervene in every time that happened and cause that to actually be the way that his providence was carried out? No. It's not biblical. You can't find that. You can't find it. Was it part of his plan? It was his plan. How did he actually ordain or order that? <laughs> Very good question. Doesn't tell us. Doesn't tell us. But it's not miraculous intervention. It does tell us that. We have to be careful to think that everything is a miracle that happens the way that it happens. It's not true. So if you see, pardon me? Nothing is truly a miracle if you look at it from that way. Except for when Christ is here, then you see things that do not follow the natural order. And that's where you see something miraculous happen, right? Something that happens that's not, God is not using what he has set up already in existence in creation to carry something out. When something happens that's outside of that miracle. Christ touches someone and heals them from a disease. Could that possibly happen naturally? No. Miracle. Could Christ turn water, does, does, can anyone turn water into wine? Is there any natural process that could turn water into wine? None, there's none. That's a miracle. Right? Can the natural processes cause fire, hail to fall from the sky? No, there are no natural processes that we've ever seen that could cause that to happen. So when did that happen? Egypt, right? What? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That was brimstone. But you see what I'm saying, right? So when you see these things that are outside of nature, this is miraculous. So is it possible, is it possible that something miraculous could happen today? Hmm. Now we're treading on theologically questionable ground. <laughs> is it possible? Is it possible? Of course it's possible. Why? God's God. That's why it's possible. But what you'd have to see is something that's outside of the bounds of the natural order to actually say it is a miracle. Let me give you an example. Let's say that somebody is diagnosed by the doctors, cannot get pregnant, and then they get pregnant. Is that a miracle? Probably not. Why? Because the doctors were wrong. That's why. Have you ever heard of that happening before? You should have. It's happened many times. It certainly it happens. How about somebody is uh, in a car accident, and little Jimmy is trapped in the car, and the car's on fire, and the police and rescue aren't there yet, and if mom could pull that door open on that car and get Jimmy out, Jimmy would live, and if mama can't do it, Jimmy's going to die. And mama rips the door off the car, including the hinges, right off the car, and gets Jimmy out. Have you heard of that? That has happened numerous occasions. Not always Jimmy and Mama, but you know what I'm saying. How did that happen? Is that a miracle? It might be. It might be. But it could be that the severe rush of adrenaline gave her strength that was beyond what she should have. Now that's how science has actually explained that. And that may be true, but it also may be that it was a miraculous intervention. You see what I mean? But we have to be careful because we need to remember that God has established in, his, in the normal created function of existence for things to happen that are going to carry out his will. If we get into the motion where we're calling everything a miracle, who are you to define what's miraculous and what's not? Essentially what you're saying is, is that you know what God's intention is in these things, and you don't. All you can say is, is that it's his will. Everything. Because that's true. But did he miraculously intervene, or is it just part of creation? In the end, why would we care if it's miraculous intervention or part of creation? Think about that. Is it just to give us a warm feeling? God miraculously caused this to happen? Because the reality is, is that God is in control of everything, and he causes everything to happen the way that it happens. Just usually he's using the natural creation and the order of creation and the function of creation to actually carry out his will. 
Do you see what I mean? So, could you witness something miraculous? Absolutely you could. Absolutely you could. Sure. By the way, we also have indication from Scripture that you still today could, unaware, be confronted with an angel. Notice, unaware. The Scripture does not tell us that there is any way for an angelic creature to appear to you as an angel and give you new revelation. That's a problem. But the Bible does tell us that we could host angels unaware. That we could interact with angels unaware. You don't know. They seem like a person to you. Yeah. Now, have anyone ever experienced what you think? I'm not going to ask you for the details. Has anyone, just raise your hand, it's okay. Has anyone ever experienced what they think may have been interaction with an angel? Because they couldn't explain it after the fact. Okay, got one. Anybody else? Okay, I had one as well, and I don't know, I can't remember, but don't need to know. There's other people I know who have thought the same thing. Now, how does that work? What, what happens? Well, I can tell you my story. My, don't know if I can explain it otherwise. I never pick up hitchhikers, ever. One day, the guy walking along the side of the road, had his thumb out, don't know why, pulled over and picked him up. No idea why. Pulled over and picked him up. Gets in the car, where are you heading? Told him. He said, oh, I'll go that far, that's great, you know. He gets in the car, I give him a ride. Along the way, I started talking to him, you know. He had a rough life, rough time, bad things have been happening to him. Now he's on his own, doesn't know what to do, doesn't know where to go. You know, but he thinks he wants to try to get home. So that brought up spiritual things. We talked about spiritual things for a few minutes. And I was basically just trying to encourage him, talked about Christ a little bit. And before you know it, we're at the place where I needed to drop him back off, you know, because I was turning and he was wanting to keep going. So I gave him some money. I didn't have much. I gave him what I had. He got out. I closed the, he closed the door. I drove away. I looked at my mirror. He wasn't there. There's nobody there. How do you explain that? There, w there was no trees. It was open. He wasn't there. Was that an angel? I can't explain it otherwise. Can't explain it. Why? What, what happened in that interaction? Or what was supposed to happen in that interaction? I don't know that either. I don't know that either. But I know that I felt like I should pick that person up. And I know that I took him and I talked to him about things. And I know that I tried to help him out. And maybe that was the test. Will you help somebody in need? Maybe that was it. I don't know. I hope I passed. I don't know. These things happen to people. You can't explain it. Usually, by the way, the legitimate ones sound similar to that. Now, what I mean is, is that the person is suddenly gone. The person that you're talking to is just, where did they go? How could that be? Where are they? Heard other people describe some stories like that before. Where it starts to become a little borderline is when they start to say that that person told them things that were going to happen in the future. Okay, now you're talking about revelation. That's a little difficult now. Can I say for sure that that was not an angel that they interacted with? Uh, no. No. I'm not going to take what the angel said of Scripture, though. Okay. So don't, if somebody describes a situation like that to you, I, I wouldn't suggest that you immediately just reject it or think they're cracked up or something like this. I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go to that route because maybe they did interact. And that may not mean a lot to you until it happens to you. Then it'll mean a lot to you. Now, when did that happen to me? Friday. No. It was the 90s. That long ago. It was in Ohio. That long ago. So it wasn't recent. It wasn't something that is just, uh, you know, uh, this is happening to me on a regular basis. No, no. One time. Can't explain it. Can't explain it. Can't say that we've ever had anyone that was a stranger stay over our house at night. I don't think we've ever done that. I don't think we've ever had an opportunity. 
That would be a challenge if we were presented with an opportunity to do that. Don't know. I'm not telling you to go find some hitchhikers and take them home. All right. Let's read Job 12, 7 through 25. And we're going to see specifically in this passage, which probably you'll recognize. You can follow along if you'd like to because it's long. Job 12, 7 through 25. You're going to see how God uses creation to carry out his purposes. In fact, this verse after verse after verse in here um, is God's created order carrying out his plan. And you're going to see it over and over. Okay? So I'm going to read this. Job 12, verses 7 through 25. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this. Now, do you understand what he's saying right off the bat there? Can any of those things literally speak to you? Can the fish of the sea talk to you? Can the birds of the air talk to you? Can the beasts talk to you? No, they cannot. But what he's saying is, is that if you asked, if you were able to ask them, they would not, there would be no question. All of them know that the Lord hath wrought these things. The animal kingdom knows God is real. That's an interesting concept. In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Doth not the ear try words and the mouth taste his meat? With the ancient is wisdom and in length of days understanding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. Also he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom, and the deceived and the deceiver are his. He leadeth counselors away spoiled, and maketh the judges fools. He looseth the bonds of king, and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled, and overthroweth the mighty. He removeth away the speech of the trusty, and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poureth contempt upon princes, and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He discovereth deep things out of darkness, and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He increaseth the nations, and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations, and straighteneth them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth, and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light, and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. All right, so there's a whole lot of things described there. A lot of them, big pictures, right? Big picture things, kings, nations, etc. But in the middle there, there's also what happens if someone gets old. Now, do we think that, as he's talking about here, that as people, basically, as they get old, they begin to have problems? Behold, he breaketh down, it cannot be built, he shut up, man, there can be no opening. You don't understand that... What he's describing here are things that happen to people as they get old. Do we think that God miraculously intervenes every time somebody gets old to make them get old? To make their memory lapse? To make their body hurt? To make their hair turn gray? No, we don't think that. Why? That's natural processes. Of course it is. Who created the natural processes? God. Who ordered them to conduct the way that they would conduct? God. God. Could God intervene and cause someone to get dementia and someone else not to get dementia? Of course. Of course. And could that be a miraculous intervention? Of course. How could we know? We can't know. But either way, we have to trust that it is God who is still in control and has the plan. Right? How is it, just think about this, how is it that most of the great preachers don't get dementia? Interesting, isn't it? A lot of them, most of them, preach until the end until the end. How is that happening? Is that a miraculous intervention? Hmm. Could be, right? Could be. Either way, it was part of God's plan. Part of God's plan. All 
The determining causes of God's providence. The determining causes of God's providence. So first of all, God's mind. Paragraph 1 continues, according unto his infallible foreknowledge. Now, let's clarify this, because this is what the confession is going to go on to explain. God does not look into the future and make plans and anticipate needs. That would be creation directing God. In other words, if God has to look forward and say, oh, well, this is going to go wrong, so I better change that, and this is going to go wrong, so I better change that, and this is going to go wrong, so I better change that, that's God reacting to creation. You see? That's God saying, oh, man, that's going to go not the way I wanted it to go. I better change this thing. I better, I'm going to have to cause something to happen there to correct, course correct. God foreordains the future. That's the meaning of foreknowledge here. God foreordains the future. In other words, he ordains what's going to happen. He plans for what's going to happen. How horrific would it be if God could be taken by surprise? God never says, what am I going to do? Think about that. Would that be horrific? And you know, in literature, in movies, this, is, this right here is a subject of many different works. That something happens that God didn't foresee, and so he causes something to happen that's miraculous in order to respond to that. He raises somebody up, raises up a champion or a hero that wasn't going to be a champion or a hero, and then that's actually God's just reacting to it. So can you think of any places where you can think of it maybe non-believers would actually use the Bible and say, see, this is an example where God did that, miraculously intervened. Who can you think of? There's a pretty obvious one, a picture of a tall guy and a short guy. Who can we think of? David and Goliath. Some of you are like, huh? Let's go back to the basics here. David and Goliath. David and Goliath. So what I have heard several times, in fact, you can see this in a few movies, is that the Philistines became so powerful, and they had these giants. They weren't all giants, by the way. There were just some giants. But they had some giants, and that took God by surprise. So he had to take a, a mild-mannered shepherd boy and cause a miracle to happen for him to kill Goliath. He had to react. God wasn't in control. That's the message. God wasn't in control. He had to react, so he caused this miraculous thing to happen as a reaction, because he wasn't prepared for it. Or, could it be, could it be, that God did plan for this to happen? And he put a young boy in a position as a shepherd against overwhelming creatures who threatened the flock, and he had to learn how to defend the flock against lions and bears and all sorts of manner of creatures that we see in the scripture, that he had to learn how to fight these things and kill these things. By the way, what's the best way to kill a lion? From a distance. <laughs> what's the best way to kill a bear? From a distance, right? Hand-to-hand -hand is not what you want to be when the other side has claws and teeth that give them the advantage, right? So how did he defend himself from a distance from them? With the sling. With the sling. So was David's shots with the, with the sling that day, which, by the way, it wasn't just Goliath that he hit. There was a few others. But when David did that, was that a miraculous, like, unbelievable shot? Or was it the shot of somebody who was trained and knew what to do? Hmm. You see the difference, right? The one way is God's reacting because he didn't plan for this, and now, oh, man, he had to do something. So he caused this miracle slingshot that actually hit Goliath in just the right spot and caused him to topple over and killed him. Which, by the way, does the Bible say that the slingshot killed him? Hmm? And what did he do? Cut, how'd he cut him? How'd he cut him? You're right. How'd he cut him? Hmm? Decapitated. Cut his head off. Completely. So once that happened, Goliath was dead. So the stone knocked Goliath down. He took Goliath's sword, cut his head off, Goliath's dead. So did God miraculously intervene with that miracle shot? Maybe. 
But either way, that was his plan the whole time. Are you with me on this? That was his plan the whole time. It was not God reacting because, oh, man, I better, <laughs> I better make something happen here because Israel's not supposed to lose in this battle. You see, you see the difference? Now, this is important because not because... It's not because we want to know about, you know, what happened with David and Goliath. That's not why it's important. It's important because we need to understand that God governs all things, and he is not surprised by anything. So when something happens to you, or you do something, or somebody else does something, and you, you can't believe that this happened, it's, you, you should not think that God is surprised. God has a plan for this. God has a purpose for this. What are they? They're his. They're not for you. Sometimes it works out for you. Sometimes it doesn't work out for you. Sometimes it doesn't work out for you. You think my aunt thinks that it worked out for her that her son died, 44? Well, I know. She doesn't think it worked out for her. His sister does not think it worked out for him, for her, right? No, they don't think that. But it's still God's plan. He, God caused that to happen for his purposes. Now, could it be that those purposes actually was partially for them? Could be. Could it be that this is going to draw them closer to him in a way they've never been close to him before? Would that be part of his purposes then? Would that be beneficial to them? It sure would be. It sure would be. But was that it? We don't know. We can't know. There's no way that we could know everything that God does, why he does it. We can't know it. And frankly, we're probably not capable of even handling that much information. Can you imagine all the ripples of every event that happens in life and you getting a download of all the ripples of all those events? Your brain would cook. It's too much. God is in control of it all. It all is under his plan. It's all part of providence. All things are done according to his will and his plan. God doesn't explain how everything fits. That's what I just said. He doesn't have to. We just have to trust God. Revelation 17, 17 says, For God put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. This is where we're seeing, in Revelation 17, only have the one verse here, but this is where we see where the kingdoms of the world submit themselves to the beast. They submit themselves to the beast. Now, it's really easy for us to think, oh, that's because, you know, they're just so wicked. They submitted to it. What does this say? God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. This is miraculous intervention. God put it in their hearts to give their kingdoms to the beast. Why? It's his will. His plan. Seems almost counterintuitive, right? It almost seems counterintuitive. Why would God want the nations to submit to the beast? To the enemy of God. Why? Because it's his will, that's why. It's always fascinating to me that when the nation is going the wrong direction that people think that it's all against God's will. This is not how God wants things to be. Yes, it is. It's exactly how God wants it to be. Why? Because he's in control. You don't think that this is how God wants it to be? Then you don't believe in providence. You don't believe in providence. Pick an area of our culture in our nation, our state, in our city, in our county that you don't like. That's the way God wants it right now. That's the way God wants it. Do you think, for a second, I'm not anti-voting. <laughs> Let me preface this comment. Do you think for a second that your one vote is going to change the course of the county, the state, the federal government? Do you think it is? No votes 
are going to change the course. Because God's in control. God is controlling the direction. God is controlling what's happening. And we're not going to thwart that plan. Does that mean that you should stop voting? No, I'm not saying that at all. Because it may be that God intends to use your vote. See? As part of the process. But don't, don't see what's happening and just get all frustrated and angry because I can't believe this is going on. I can't believe that the library is now charging 15 cents for a late fee. You know, something. Whatever. That's silly. I'm trying to be a little silly there. But you understand that it's, more, it's much more significant than that. Rights that are taken apart. Which, by the way, where do rights come from? The government? Who do they come from? Hmm? God. That's the only place that we can actually get a right from. And you know what? If you want to look at God's word and see what you have the right to do, hmm, this is interesting. Can God stop you from having free speech? Is that your right that he cannot violate? How about your right to a fair and just trial? Has God ever allowed and actually caused someone to have an unfair trial that resulted in their death on the cross? Yes, he has. Where was Christ's right to a, free, to a, to a, a just trial? He got a speedy trial. Where was his right to a just trial? It's interesting that we tend to think that humans hold such a high place that when we talk about human rights, somehow that supersedes God's plan. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Freedom isn't a right. We want to think it is. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. God gives us. And God can take it away. Are there, is there anybody, is there any believers in the world today that are not living in freedom? Of course there are. Of course there are. Does that mean that somehow they've lost their God-given rights? No, it means that God's plan is for them not to live in freedom, doesn't it? Now, am I anti-freedom? No, I'm not anti-freedom. Do I think freedom is better? Yes, I think freedom is better. No question. We look at God's Word and we see examples of government, examples of how people should live and how they should treat each other. Freedom clearly is throughout the scripture. You can look at just the basics of the law. You see it. Thou shalt not steal. What's that imply? You have the right to own something. Somebody else can't take it from you. That's wrong for someone to take something from someone else, which means that it's okay for you to have something. Do you see? Thou shalt not kill. What's that imply? Right to life. Right? It's not, someone cannot just take your life on a whim. Why? That's wrong. That's evil. For you to live is right, is good. But does God cause people to get killed? Yes. Yeah. Part of his will. Part of his plan. I'm not saying this stuff's easy to accept. It just is true. It's just true. The goal of providence. This is the end of that paragraph. To the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. The goal of God's providence is to bring glory to himself. You see it in his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. That is the goal of God's providence. Ephesians 1.11 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He's not working all things to the counsel of our will. He's not working all things to the counsel of some heavenly group. That's not what this verse says. It says to the counsel of his own will. It's God's will that's being carried out. God's will, not ours, his. All right, section two, the major concerns about the doctrine. 
paragraph 2 and paragraph 3. We're going to read these, and then we'll break them down starting today. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, so that there is not anything befalls any by chance or without his providence. Yet, by the same providence, he ordered them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. We're going to break that down. We already have touched on it, but we're going to break that down. Paragraph 3, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. Now, paragraph 3, just frankly, in my opinion, almost completely summarizes paragraph 2. But paragraph 2 is focused on the natural things that happen according to the nature of second causes. But notice here that it says that he makes use of the means, ordinary providence makes use of the means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. In other words, God is free to intervene or act miraculously anytime he wants to in any way. It would never be because he didn't plan it. Right? It would only be because he did. So, did God, let's just think of one example, Christ is a great one. So Christ, birth, and is essentially the fact that Mary got pregnant by the Holy Spirit was obviously miraculous. Do we agree on that? Power of the Holy Spirit overshadows her. She gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mary does. Can't be anything but miraculous. Not a natural process, right? But did he do that in reaction to something, or was it part of the plan always? Well, if we believe in providence, we must answer that it's part of the plan. But even if you're unsure about providence and how much God is actually in control of things, you merely have to go back in the Scripture and see all of the prophecies about the Messiah, including that he was going to be born of a virgin. You can't have a plan that he's going to be born of a virgin and then react to, oh, man, I better do something here. Nobody's good enough to have him. I'm going to have to have a virgin conceive. You see? In other words, God's plan was always for that to happen. He was not reacting to things. He's free to be involved and work outside of that natural course of events. But it's always still that he planned that that was going to happen. Does that make sense? All right. So first you notice there is a concession, so to speak, in the first half of this paragraph. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, so that there is not anything befalls any by chance or without his providence. Well, first causes are God's decrees. So first causes are what God has decreed will happen. Second causes are the means or methods that God uses to execute those decrees outside of direct intervention or supernatural. So a first cause, this is kind of theological language here, first cause would be a, a decree that God has. Christ is going to be born, is going to live, is going to die on the cross to redeem man's sins. He's going to rise from the dead. First cause. God's decree. Second causes are the means or methods he executes to fill those out. So, you had to have a number of things happen here, right? Mary had to be a virgin. Mary had to be betrothed. There had to be this uh, sense in the Pharisees that they were not going to accept the Messiah. Had to be in their hearts. They had to ignore the miracles. Had to go that way. Had to have Rome. Had to have Rome in charge of Israel. Why? Rome's method of death for criminals was the cross. Not Israel's. Hmm. All of those things, second causes. Second causes. Those things had to happen in order for it to happen. Was there then direct intervention? Yes, Holy Spirit. Right? Immutably, right here, immutability comes to pass immutably and infallibly, 
Immutability is that we talked about this and we talked about God's characteristics, not capable of change, infallibly not capable of erring, means that things happen exactly as God planned them in his perfect will. Everything happens according to how he planned it, that's it. God does not have a plan and a backup. Does that explain it? We don't think that way often. And it's very popular in Christianity to take a different approach to this, and you might not realize that you see it all the time, but I'm telling you, you've experienced this, and you've talked to people who have said this, and here's what they will say, something like this. Well, God intended this to happen, and it didn't happen. So now, he allowed this to happen instead. God's perfect plan for you is to be a preacher. But if you don't go down that path, then it's okay that you work in IT. Do you see how we do this? Have you heard this before? Surely you've heard this before, where people say those things. It's just contradictory to Scripture. Because God planned for what to happen. happen. Now you could say, well, God would want for us not to sin. God would want for us to be pure, to be holy, to be righteous, all true. Absolutely. But there's no sense that God had a plan, and that plan is his primary plan, and if it doesn't go good, then there's a backup plan. You see? Not true. No backup plan. Everything is going to carry, happen exactly as God Plan them in his perfect will. Chance, which by the way, Webster's 1828 defines chance as an event that happens without being expected, okay, is a measure of the likelihood of something in man's mind. Chance is the measurement of something happening in man's mind. So, we, don't we often use that word sometimes, right? I'm not saying that's wrong for us to use that word, but don't we often say something like, you know, is there a chance that you could get me that cup of water? We don't really mean that. We don't really mean an event that happens without being expected. What we're really doing is we're asking them if they'll do it. But we use the word chance, right? Or what are the chances that the truck is going to get sideswiped on the way home? You know what the chances were? 100%. It happened. 100%. There was no chance. That was the plan. That was the plan. What are the chances this ha could happen? There's, it's always God's plan. It's never left to chance. Chance does not exist. Therefore, it's not a causative agent. It cannot cause anything to happen. Look, here, okay, so what, what do you hear chance talked about the most? I, I, arguably, I think you can say that you hear chance talked about the most when you're talking in terms of uh, gambling, right? Games of Chance, right? doesn't matter if you're talking about the lottery, you're talking about poker, you're talking about card games, you're talking about betting on football games, whatever you're talking about. These are often always called games of chance. What is it? Well, the idea is, is that you try to pick something or try to make some, some kind of a decision and that if there's a good chance, then you might win. It's just not true. You're going to win and you're going to lose based on God's providence and that's it. That's it. There is no chance. There's no chance. What's the chances that he would have got struck by lightning when he was out there on the golf course? If he got struck by lightning, 100%. It was not one in a billion. It's just not true. We can arguably say, yes, only one in a billion people get hit, which, by the way, lightning is way less than that. It's one in 100,000 something. <laughs> and what would we say that is? That it is one in a hundred thousand or one in a billion a different number? They are different. And we would normally say, well, if it's one in a hundred thousand, then your chances are much higher, right? Don't we use that kind of language? Except it's just not true. If you're going to be struck by lightning, you're going to be struck by lightning. If you're not going to be struck by lightning, you're not going to get struck by lightning. It's not going to happen by chance. It's going to happen by plan. God's plan. God's plan. 
R.C. Sproul. This is a pretty good explanation. He said, The doctrine of the providence of God leaves no room for fate, blind, or otherwise. God is not blind, neither is, his, is he capricious. For him there are no accidents. With God there are no cases of chance events. If chance exists, God cannot exist. Think about that. If one molecule flies wild by chance, then God is not sovereign. If God is not sovereign, then God is not God. God and chance simply cannot coexist. Accidents are events we do not intend to take place. But notice, accidents are events we do not intend to take place. But there is another intentionality that transcends our intentionality. The intentions of God, as seen in the concurrence between the intents of Joseph's brothers and the intent of God, are never subject to chance or fate. Chance is a repugnant term to ascribe to the actions of God. Albert Einstein was correct when he stated, God doesn't roll dice. There is no chance. There is no chance. Finish this. Everything that happens is according to God's providence. It's not chance or luck or fate. These are literally pagan ideas. Read those two verses. Acts 2.23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. This is Peter. And if you've been at Wednesday nights, you, you know we've been in, so not this exact passage, but we've been in Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, and that, right? Just chapter 2, right? Mostly chapter 2, where Peter is, pre is preaching, actually. But here, he is, this is part of it. This is part of it. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So how did it come about that Christ was crucified, taken and crucified? God's plan. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. What's Proverbs saying here? It's saying that God doesn't roll dice. People can roll dice, but what that dice is going to land at, God controlled. God decided it. That was what was going to happen. Do you understand? All right. Next week we'll pick back up with an assertion. Let's close in a word of prayer.